0: You are listening to the Jewish Living podcast. I'm Rabbi Nachum Meth. It's seven fifteen, so let's officially begin by welcoming everyone to our next unit in our Jewish Living series: the laws of Tefillah, the laws of prayer, Hilchos Tefillah, the laws of prayer, and uh, as as again we've been discussing in the pre-class class. Um. The laws of Hilchos Tfilah, the laws of prayer, again, I find them very meaningful and um, rewarding to study for a number of reasons. I think we, again, just to review, why I find it meaningful is things do change, do scenarios do come up that I'm like, okay, what do I do here? How do I do it? Um, so I find that. to to be helpful to to know number two there are just there is a right way and a wrong way like like everything in judaism there is detail and there's detail even in our davening even in our prayers and we got we should just know what's right and what's wrong as i mentioned there are there are many things that people do in davening in our prayer which are actually wrong um and there's a right way and a wrong way to do everything in life and and uh And just because we haven't, we don't know what it is, is is the Talmud says it's never an an excuse. Uh, the the Talmud famously says, if we're just like, oh, I didn't know that, I didn't study something, that's calm. If I could have known, if I should have known better, the Talmud says it's like a willful sin, willful blindness, it's like willful ignorance is not really an excuse. So, not to be too harsh, but but um. I, I there is a lot that is incorrect that people practice, and I think it's very helpful. Oops, um, I apologize for all my beeps happening. Um, and th- there is a right way and a wrong way. So let's let's learn the right the right way to to how to daven. And then, as I mentioned, number three reason number three why I think it's very important is as you'll see as we go through this, you'll see that the davening is so rich. There's such a richness. It's not just like, oh, a poem here, a prayer there. You'll see there's a structure, there's a reason for everything that we do in Judaism in general, and specifically in when it comes to Davening. Um, I am going to recommend as we start this unit, um, something I recommend way too often, which is the Art Scroll Sitter. Specifically, this one. Their art scroll does have a couple different versions. This is the one we use at the Kollel, so it's very helpful to have. Um it's you know, you don't need to bring one here to the Kollel if you come for Davening, come to any of the prayers. We have a million and one here, so you're covered, but it is a good thing to have at home because prayer oftentimes we're not able to make it to Davening or you want to pray at home. This book is fantastic. They did an excellent excellent job putting it together. Both the Hebrew is very, very good. The English translation is great. The commentaries on the bottom are great. The instructions are very, very helpful. And there's a a lot that's packed into this book. So I definitely am going to recommend it. And we're probably going to reference it um, throughout this this new unit. Terminology. Davening. We're going to use that word a lot. Daven is a Yiddish word, which means to pray. So instead of saying tfila which is the Hebrew way to say pray, as and uh, and, and probably not going to say prayer too often, the word that's like very much part of the vernacular, if you're not familiar, is davin. Davin is a Yiddish word, but it's one of those ubiquitous Yiddish words. You could be like the most hardcore sp- hardcore Sparty. You're going to be using the word davin, even though your grandparent wouldn't have known what the word davin means. But it's just such a part of Jewish nomenclature. We call it davin. And then what's very cool is it got Yiddishized and then it got anglicized. So Davin is Yiddish. Davining, the ing afterwards, that's English. So we turned a Yiddish word, added some, you know, English to it, and now it's like it's like one of the most ubiquitous words. Davining is the act of praying. Like run, running, davin, davining. In Yiddish, I don't, again, I'm not a Yiddish speaker, but I don't think you would ever say Davening. You would say or something like that. I've I've daven the, you know, but davening is, but it's just a word. So if you hear me using that word, you're going to hear me using that word. That's what it means. And I guess for the rest of the unit, let's um let's just be aware of um just to be aware of that. But I want to cover to so far so good. Any thoughts, questions? Who wrote the sitter? Who wrote the sitter? It's a great question. The answer that I once, my, my very wise brother in law once shared with me is you know who wrote The Sitter? The last guy who published it. So in this example, it would be Art Scroll. They wrote The Sitter. Now, what he meant by that is actually something very wise. So we're going to see in, the, in not today, probably not today, but in future classes, there are layers and layers on our davening. When we talk about davening, what do we even mean? We're going to get to that. That's what I mean. Like we, a lot of times davening is just prayer. We're going to see there are many, many layers. And throughout our davening, there could be multiple things happening. So a lot of it has been instituted throughout the generations, has been incorporated into the prayer book over the last uh, many years. And you'll see that is part of almost like a historical richness is the beauty of the sitter. Keeping on terminology, what does the word sitter mean? I have a theory. I don't know this for sure, but I have a theory of what the word Siddur means. Siddur, le Sader, is to, like you talk about the Seder, the Passover Seder. What does the word Seder mean at Passover? It means an order. It's an organization. There's actually a halacha. There's a law in davening. We're so used to having a prayer book, a Siddur. It's what we call it. It's a, again, just again, l- lingo terminology, a Siddur is a prayer book. I'm going to use the word sitter, I mean, prior book, and I'm just going to use that word a lot. We're used to having sitters. Not so long ago, probably in my grandparents' lifetime growing up, you know, sitters published books were rare. Books were expensive. Not everyone had books. You go back Two centuries before that, books were, or not even more, not even two centuries. You go back 150 to late 1800s, a sitter was a very, very expensive item, especially in Eastern Europe. People were really, really poor. You go back 500 years before Gutenberg, there's no such thing as a sitter. There was no published book. Yet we've been davening for a very, very long time. We've been praying. There's a halacha, there's a law, tzarech l'sader tzfilaso. There is a law that before you daven before one prays you you have to actually organize you have to in your mind take a moment and remember and organize okay what am i going to be praying today because the reason for that is you used to daven people used to pray by heart you don't have a sitter so you have to pray by heart. Well, a lot of times when you pray by heart, you keep like, "Oh, okay, what do I say today? What? And you forget. So there's actually a, a, a simon. There's actually a code of, in the Jewish code of law, there's a halacha tzarech lesader tzfilah You have to organize your thoughts and, and just so the words that you're saying, you're saying the right prayers. You have to actually stop and organize it. The Ramah says that we don't do it. I think, I think this is Ashkenazic Jewry. The halacha is, is that we don't do it nowadays. You only have to do it uh, on special occasions during the weekdays, you didn't have to because it was very, very typical. And I believe the Ramah, who is the source of Ashkenazic where he says, nowadays, we don't need to if you have a, a, a prayer book because that fulfills the obligation. You don't, you're not praying by heart. And I think that's where the, the term Sidr comes from. It's from this halacha, this law tzarech tfiloso. You have to make sure your prayer is organized. Well, here, we've got it for you. It's printed, it's organized, and it's uh, it's there for you. As an aside, I'm not sure what the halacha is for Sephardic Jews. I don't think the the halacha, if you just read the halacha, I think they, I should really ask a Sephardic uh, rabbi, they, according to the Sephardic tradition, I'm not sure you're allowed to rely on just following a prayer book. It could be you actually have to stop and make sure you know what you're praying. Again, we rely on the Ramah who who says we can just rely, if you pray out of a prayer book, that's good enough. But if you're Sephardic, it might be a different halacha, but that's for a different conversation. So we have our sitters, we've got davening, we've got all of our lingo. Let's get started. What I want to do, the way I'm I'm sort of talking about keeping things organized, what I want to do today, and maybe for the next few classes, is sort of break things down by topic. Uh, We did this a couple of weeks ago. I thought it was very helpful. Who, what, where, when, and why. Who, what, where, when, and why of davening. And I wanted to start today with the, I guess, the why, and maybe time permitting, I'm not sure. We'll get to the who, but I guess we'll start. Why do we daven? There are many layers to that question. Why? Um, but why do we daven? Like, you, know, what? What's the source? I guess would be but by why. Like, for what reason? Where is it coming from that we that we need a daven every day? So the truth of the matter is, and this is a very important, just academic background. What you're gonna we're gonna see. It's gonna come up every now and again. Rambam writes. He quotes a verse if you have in your on the in the Shema. If you open up, if you have an art scroll sitter, you can take a look in the Shema, um, on page 92 in the Hebrew, if you have an art scroll sitter with me, with you. Uh page 92 in the Hebrew, page 93 in English, Daniel. If you want one, there's a sitter right here. Or Debbie, if you want, there, there are sitters over here. You don't need to, but you can trust me that I'm reading it correctly. In the second paragraph of the Shema the second paragraph of the Shema on page, which is on page 92 or 93, we write, And it will happen that if you listen to my commandments that I command you today, to serve God, and to serve him, with all of your heart, and with all your soul. What's going to happen if we serve God with all of our heart and all of our soul and we do all the mitzvahs? The rains will come, the early and the late rains. You'll gather in your crops, your grain, your wine, your oil, get all sorts of blessings. Terrific. That's the second chapter of the Shema. Reward and punishment. We do what's right and we avoid what's wrong. God will bless us. Terrific. Rambam, really based on the Talmud, asks a very pointed question. When we, if you read the verse, it says, <laughs> We serve God with all of our heart. Ramam actually points out, it's really the Talmud points out, this phrase of serving God with your heart comes up several times in the scripture. The Gemara asks, How do you serve God with your heart? What does that mean, serving God with your heart? the Omer, what this is a reference to, is This is a reference to prayer. And the Ramam says, This isn't just a nice idea. Oh, you should serve God with your heart, you should pray. But actually, the Rambam codifies it as mitzvah number five, the fifth mitzvah of the 613 commandments. Rambam writes, Ha mitzvah chamishis, the fifth mitzvah It's the requirement to serve God, to, like, to serve him. Um he says This language is repeated several times in the Torah. Um, he says, Lashon Safri quotes the to serve God, at least in the reference in these verses, is a reference to prayer. Okay. Um, terrific. That's what Rambam says. And he says, we see from here, and the Rambam is very specific. You have a chiyuv. you have an obligation to pray. Rambam is going to codify it. You have a chiyuv, an obligation to pray every single day. A person has a prayer, has a responsibility, and an obligation a chiyuv, an obligation, to pray every single day, okay? Ramban, so that's Ramban, Rabbi Moshe Maimonides. Ramban, Rabbi Moshe Nachmanides, similar acronym, but different people. They're about a generation and a half apart. Rabbi Moshe Nachmanides, Ramban, disagrees. And he argues that this is, although prayer is a wonderful thing to do, it's not a chiyuv, it's not a Torah obligation, to pray every single day. That's Ramban's opinion. Proves it, various sources. That's our so it's a, very important. There's a machlokas. This is a running disagreement between Rambam and Ramban, and this is going to come up. Keep this file this away if you want. For those who are who are, who are studious and want to, you know, it's very important. There's a machlokas, a matter of disagreement between Rambam, who says prayer is a Torah obligation every single day. And Ramban, Rabbi Moshe Nachman, and he just says, no, it isn't. Okay? Terrific. The Talmud tells us, welcome, the Talmud tells us a, a, a very famed, well-oft-quoted passage in the Talmud. Talmud tractate brachos, hilchos, mesechos brachos tractate brachos, chavavavamadbe'i is 26b. The Talmud says like this, Itmar it was taught over Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Omer. The great Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi he said, Tfilos, the prayers, he's specifically referring to Shachris, Mincha, and Mariv. Again, terminology, make sure we're all on the same page. Shachris is the morning prayer. Mincha, we recite in the afternoon. Mariv is in the evening, three times a day. Those are the prayers. Shachris, Mincha, and Mariv, every day, 365 days a year. Some days, we actually add to that but we never subtract. There's always shachras mincha, and marev. So who instituted Shakras mincha, and marev? Where does that come from? Talmud famously says, one opinion says, tfilos, um, avos, tiknum. The tfilos, shachras mincha, and marev, were instituted by our avos. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Our forefathers. They were the ones who instituted shachras mincha, and marev. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi the great Rabbi Yeshua Levi, he says, no, I disagree. Tfilos kineged midim tiknum. The tefillah, prayers, shachros, mincha, and marev, were actually instituted opposite or corresponding to the various sacrifices that were brought in the times of the temple. Okay? So we have a machlokas who instituted the prayers, shachros, mincha, and marev. One opinion is it was instituted by Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The other other opinion is, no, it was instituted opposite, corresponding to the various sacrifices that were brought in the temple. Now, let's understand what's going on. In, and the the uh, the Talmud just continues. It brings verses. It says that Avraham... Let's just read it a little further. It's helpful. Um, the, the Gemara explains... Um, Avram Tikin Tfil Shachris. Abraham Avram, he was the one who institutes Shachris, the morning prayer. Avram Baboker. Avram got up in the morning. Sham to the place that he stood there. And the Talmud says, The language of standing is actually in this context a reference to prayer. Abraham Avram gets up in the morning to stand, and he stands, means he prayed. So we see Avram instituted Shachris. Um, Yitzhak Isaac tikent filos mincha. He was one who institutes Mincha. Shinemar's the verse says, that, and Isaac goes out to speak in the field, lifnos erev in the in the afternoon. In the language of sicha, to speak means to pray. So you see that Isaac goes out to pray in the afternoon. Um Yaakov Tila tikent files and Jacob Yaakov institutes Mariv. He approaches the place, and he and he encamped there. And the language of pegi, he in, he encountered there. That's a language of prayer as well. Very good. So we see Avramielzok and, ya- and Yaakov. They instituted chakras mincha and The Talmud then says the other opinion was that the. Chakras, Mincha, and Marev were instituted corresponding to the to the sacrifices. is going to go through and basically say like this. If you recall, during the times of the temple, times of the Beis of Ignash, there were two temidim, two sacrifices that were brought every day, aside from personal sacrifices, and aside for if it was a special occasion, like a holiday, where there were other services and sacrifices that took place. But at, on top of that, every single day, 365 days a year, there was always, and it was also not just... Um, it was also, it was always the first sacrifice that was brought, was was called the, to kind of open for business, was the carbon tumid, was the daily sacrifice that was brought in the beginning. And then, as as well at the end, closing a business in the afternoon was called, the, was also a carbon tumid, a daily sacrifice. So there were two daily sacrifices, one in the morning, according to the second opinion of the Talmud. That's what chakras corresponds to to the Tefilas, to to the tamid to the daily sacrifice. Mincha corresponded to the afternoon daily sacrifice. What was Mariv for five points? Anyone remember? What was Mariv because there was no sacrifice that was brought at night. So the base of the temple was closed for business that night. What's Mariv all about? The answer is the one thing the Mariv was the the temple the Beit was kind of closed that night. One thing took place that night is that the imurim. There were certain parts of the sacrifices were burnt on the altar, and they were left to burn on the pyre on top of the altar. They would burn all night. That's called the the hakravas the, imurim. They would bring the the kind of the remnants of the of the certain sac, of certain sacrifices. They were burnt at night. So opposite the that particular service, that's why we David baruch. Now what's going on over here in the Talmud? What's happening here in the Talmud is as follows. Again, Rambam tells us that it's a Torah obligation to pray every single day. That is what God said. That's according to the Rambam, at least. It's one of the 613 mitzvahs. You have to pray every single day. Now, how does one fulfill that obligation? Is it by, you know, using the sitter? Absolutely not. You don't, or not necessarily. I mean, you can fulfill your obligation by praying out of the the sitter. But any form of prayer, even if you don't follow formalized prayer, would suffice. According to Ramban, Rabbi Moshe Nachmanides. God never required prayer as one of the 613 mitzvahs. Daily prayer is not one of the 613 mitzvahs. Rather, it's rabbinic, meaning even Ramban, who says you don't have an obligation to pray every day from the Torah, he would tell you, however, the rabbis instituted praying every single day. Okay, who were the ones who instituted that? Ramban will tell you it was either Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, or it was much later the Anshe Knesset Hagodola, the men of the Great Assembly, who, was, who, who established it, corresponding to the various sacrifices. Even Ram, so just does everyone follow what's going on? The Rambam and, and the Ramban are only arguing over the Torah requirement. Rambam says there's a Torah requirement to pray something every single day. And Raman says, no, there isn't. Everyone agrees that rabbinically there is an institution to pray every single day. Okay? That is certainly, according to all opinions in all places, the r- obligation of praying every single day is a rabbinic institution, is, is a rabbinic institution. Shachras minchan marav, the fact that we daven three times a day, is certainly a rabbinic institution. According to Rambam, you do have an obligation of praying every day, but you could just do that whenever, however. The fact that we have a specific time, that it's the morning, afternoon, and the evening, that's and those are obli- obligatory, that was a rabbinic institution. Everyone with me so far? Thoughts, questions? Now, according to all opinions as well, even according to the opinion that says Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were the ones who instituted it, it doesn't mean they were the ones who composed it. Okay? They certainly did not compose, I think, I think is my understanding, they were not the ones who composed the text of the language of the prayers that we have today. They just instituted, one should pray in the morning, one should pray in the afternoon, and one should pray in the evening. But the prayers, the text of the prayers, at least the Shmona Esrei, the, the major parts of the davening, that was, according to all opinions, was was, the, was composed by the Anshei Knesset HaGadolah, the men of the great assembly, if you recall in our last unit, unit we talked about any time you ever bump into, almost any time you bump into Judaism, in any part of the Jewish liturgy or anything in Judaism, a bracha, baruch atah Hashem. So last unit, we were talking about that, those prayers that we recite over food. But any you bump into baruch atah Hashem, sometimes it's part of our davening, our daily prayer, the, the language, that text, was composed by the of HaGadola, the, the, the men of the great assembly. Again, who were these people? These are 120 of the great giants of, and luminaries of Judaism right at the beginning of the Second Temple era. So figure the year, what's it, not 586, year 500 BC. Beginning of the Sem- Second Temple so it's going to be later than that. That depends who you ask. So that would be the year, whatever. There's a matter of disagreement between secular dating and and, and Torah dating. So according to our calculations, it'd actually be right around the year 330 of B.C. Okay? Something like that. They were the ones who composed it. Everyone with me? So terrific. So we have an obligation according to all opinions of davening Shachris, Mincha, and Mariv. If you want to know why do we... So again, if our question was why, why are we davening? The answer is The rabbi rabbinically was instituted to to pray Shachros, Mincha, and Marev. It might also be a requirement to pray at least once a day, not necessarily Shachros, Mincha, and Marev, but just once a day. You might have an obligation, according to the Rambam, that might be a Torah obligation as well. Okay? Everyone with me? Rabbi Moshe Feinstein was asked an amazing question. Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, again, leader of North American Jewry, died in 1986. Someone asked him a remarkable question. And I've always, this is always my favorite, one of my favorite sources when it comes to prayer and why do we pray? Someone asked him, are non-Jews obligated to pray? If you're not Jewish. Do you have an obligation to pray? So what's the answer? What would you say? I'll open it up to the floor. If you're not Jewish, do you have a chiyav? Do you have an obligation an obligation to play, to pray? I'll go with no. Joel says no. Bingo. That is definitely the starting point for this conversation. Joel, you're right. You're absolutely right. Is when we talk about obligation and obligation means is it a mitzvah, is it a chiyuv, an obligation? Well, what are we obligated in? We're obligated what the Torah tells us to do. If you're Jewish, you have 613 commandments. According to the Rambam, one of those commandments is to pray every day. As far as I'm aware, Says Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, the starting point ought to be that when it comes to prayer, we know the seven. That if you're not Jewish, you also have mitzvahs, you also have responsibilities and obligations, but there are only seven, and none of them are prayer. So the starting point of the conversation should be: No, a non-Jew, if you know intuitively, we should we should answer the question by saying: If you're non not Jewish, you do not have an obligation to pray. That would be the starting point. The um. according to the, you know, to start the conversation. Rabbi Mojah he says, but isn't it interesting? He says, um, he says, He says, the starting point is it's not in the seven seven Noach I laws. So certainly the starting point is, and this is actually the bottom line halacha, is does a non-Jew have an obligation of davening shachris, mincha, and mariv? The answer is absolutely not. According to the, according to all opinions, because that's certainly even rabbinic if you even think about it. But even according to the Rambam, who says that there is a mitzvah to pray every single day, that's if you're Jewish. If you're not Jewish, no obligation. Everyone with me? But says by Moshe Feinstein, not so fast. To quote, what's that guy on the, on the college football guy? Corso, not so fast. Oh, whatever. He says the following. He says, but isn't it fascinating? He says, we find in Isaiah, in Yeshaya, we actually read this on every public fast day. He says, God says, in a reference to the Beit HaMikdash, Talks about bringing sacrifices and services in the Beis HaMikdash. Ki for my house is a house of prayer, l'chol to all the nations. What do you mean? What do you mean? L'chol ha'amim means even non-Jews. But what do you mean? What do you mean? Why is it a house of prayer for all nations? Non-Jews are not obligated to pray, right? So how do we understand this verse? He says the starting point to answer that, he could say, look, they might not be obligated to pray, but if they want to, it's a great idea. And that's why the verse says, it's a my house is a house of prayer for all nations. A non-Jew might not be obligated to pray, but if he wants to pray, it's certainly a mitzvah, it's certainly a beautiful thing to do, but it's not obligatory. That's what he 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 uh that's his first thing that he says. And he says, even according to the Rambam, okay, we'll leave that out. Okay. Everyone with me? Good? Thoughts, questions? He then says, but I want to take it one step further. He says something that is so I think it's so fundamental. He says, it appears to me, says Robert Feinstein. Do is a davar. This whole conversation, everything we've been talking about until now. Rambam, Ramban, you have an obligation to daven every day or not. Shachras, Mincha, and Mariv. That is a discussion of daily prayer. Meaning, it's a regular Monday, nothing happening out of the ordinary. Do you have an obligation to pray? There's nothing on your mind. Just a regular day, ordinary day. Rambam will tell you you have an obligation, a Torah obligation to pray. Ramban would say, no, you don't. Everyone would say, if you're Jewish, you have an obligation to pray three times a day. Everyone will say, if you're not Jewish, you definitely don't have an obligation, neither a Torah obligation nor a rabbinic obligation. Everyone will tell you it's a nice idea if you're not Jewish, if you want to pray, but it's certainly not a obligation. However, however, what about if you're in crisis? What about if it's not an ordinary Monday, but rather you've got a real big fat problem? There is some kind of disease. There's an illness. Or you've got some real financial problem. He says, "Who he of mamash. Sends Rabbi Feinstein in that kind of scenario. That's not what we're discussing. If you're in crisis, then. Even if you're not Jewish, you have an obligation to pray. Meaning, our whole conversation up to this point, Shakras Minchan Marav is scheduled daily ritual prayer. Whether you like it or not, whether there's anything going on in your life or not, Shachras Minchan Marev. It's a regular day, you have an obligation to pray. And Rabbi will tell you it's a Torah obligation. On a regular day, you gotta pray every single day. But what about if you're in crisis? There's a medical illness, financial stress, your team is playing in the Super Bowl, no, right? Something maybe a little bit more significant, right? Even that, something that's important in your life, right? And he says, then he says, I'm going to tell you, you have an obligation to pray. And if you'll be like Lawrence." but what do you mean? So then why is it one of the seven Noahide laws? He says, It's not a problem. Yes, there are only seven Noahide laws, and one of them is not, if you're in crisis, pray. He says, you know why? He says, The whole foundation of our belief in God is when we say, do you believe in God? What does that mean? It means I believe the only person who can cure me or a loved one is God. The only one who can provide for me parnasa, my financial, my sustenance. If I'm in crisis, the only one who can get me out is God. That's what it means to believe in God. If you don't trust that God can get you out of a jam, and you don't pray to God when you're in a crisis, that's like tantamount to saying, I don't believe in God. I believe, you know, if I'm in crisis, and what do I do? I don't pray to God. I'm going to go do something else. That means that's symptomatic. That's indicative that I don't really believe in God. Think about it. If you are in a tough spot, you have a disease, and you know there's a doctor in town who can cure you, what do you do? You go to that doctor. Well, if we believe, and that is the appropriate thing to do, we believe that if you're in crisis, we're in trouble. The only one who really, ultimately, the only one who can help me is God. That's the most fundamental thing in the world. The emunah ba'ashem yisparach, and our belief, our trust in God, actual huskars you're right, our belief in God, that's not one of the seven Noahide laws. He says, mm-hmm. of course, it precedes, pre- basically Rabbi Feinstein argues, belief in God, that God is the one who controls everything, that precedes the seven Noachide laws. <laughs> Let's say you can, you're non-Jewish and you observe all seven Noachide laws, but you don't believe in God, so it's all worthless. It doesn't count. He says, if you do it because you think it's a great idea, I'll be kind to animals, I'm not going to steal, I'm not going to kill, I'm not going to commit adultery, because not that I believe in God, but I think these are nice things. That's worthless. I mean, it, I guess it's helpful. It's a nice thing. You're a good person, I guess. But that's not, you haven't fulfilled the mitzvah. The mitzvah is I'm doing these things because ultimately, fundamentally, I believe God said so. He says, of course, it has to be that you are obligated if you're not Jewish, if you're in crisis, even though it's not one of the seven Noahide laws, of course, if you're in crisis, you have a Chiyav to pray to God. Does that make sense? It's amazing. Rabbi Feinstein takes it a step further. Let's go back to remember our machlokas, our disagreement between Rambam and Ramban. He says, I want you to know this is, this is absolutely amazing. Rambam and Ramban are arguing about, do you have a responsibility from the Torah to pray every single day? Remember we said, Rambam says, yes, you do. Ramban says, no, you don't. Everyone says, rabbinically, you got to pray Shachros Minchanmar. Fine. Says Rabbi Feinstein, they're only arguing about daily prayer. But let's say you're Jewish and you're in crisis. Do you have a of to pray? He says, of course, even according to the Ramban, who says you don't have an, a Torah obligation of daily prayer, that's sh- That's daily prayer. Let's talk. not talk about daily prayer. Let's talk about crisis, crisis management. If you believe in God, you call out to God, say, God, help me out. He says, even the Ramban will tell you, you have an, chiyav, you have an obligation to pray every single day. No, I'm sorry, not every single day, when you're in crisis. Daily prayer, different story. Rabbinic, Shacharism min Ramban, Rambam. But in crisis, if you've got Parnassa problems, financial problems, you've got an illness, you've got a relationship problem, you've got whatever problem you've got. If you're really feeling, I am in a jam, I am trapped, I'm stuck, you have a of you have an obligation to pray according to all opinions. I wanna build on this one step. We're gonna be spending a lot of time, not too much time, but moving forward in, in, these, in subsequent um, classes, We're going to talk about the rules of prayer, and we're going to talk about formalized prayer, and we're going to talk about the Shmona Esrei is certainly one of the most significant parts of davening, you know, the the Amidah, And you'll note, there isn't a a ton of room for flexibility. It's composed by the Anshayi Knesset Zagadola, it's pre-written, it's pre, you know, and yeah, there are certain places where add, insert your prayer here. But something that I get all the time, people ask me, they say, Rabbi, like just reading some prayer that some dead guy wrote 2000 years ago, I don't find it particularly inspiring, right? I get that question all the time. So I say two things, two to three things, or a couple of things. First of all, number one is recognize this wasn't just composed by a bunch of people 2000 years ago. These were the Antje Knesset Sekedul, these were the men of the Great, great Assembly, these were neviim, these were prophets. So the language that they used is very precise. It's like almost like saying, ah, "I don't really li-, it's like looking at a computer program. I'm like I don't really like it. I'm going to change that dot and turn it into a comma, right? That's going to blow up the computer program, right? Even though you don't necessarily appreciate all the nuance of computer language, there is something very specific about that language. Be very careful, you know, messing with computer language. The same to some degree holds true. Recognize, as the art scroll says, it's not just inspired poetry." That, that they wrote, okay? It's not just like a very, you know, beautiful language. It actually has many, many layers, Kabbalistic layers, mystical layers, many, many layers in the language. So don't discard it so quickly, number one. Number two, I would add, Usually people who say that, myself included, it's usually coming because I'm not like really diving out of inspiration. It's not because I don't find the language inspiring. It's because I'm spaced out thinking about the championship game yesterday. If we were focused, you'll actually find it's my, I believe this very deeply, I think the language of the tefillah, the prayer is absolutely beautiful. It's really very, very, very rich. Number two, part of that I would add And maybe we'll move on to item number three. Item number three is, I don't know about you, but if someone gave me a responsibility, write a poem three times a day. That's very hard. It's very hard to pray three times a day and do it with inspiration. Use your own words. Okay, really do it with inspired language. You're going to have a hard time. In a little bit, yes, it's the same thing and it's repetitive. I actually think that's a good thing. It's a beautiful, rich language. I have a, uh, you know, a certain technique. I, you insert your own thoughts into the prayers. If you really think about, it, let's talk about the daily Amidah, the Shemona Esrei, nineteen prayers. They're all the basic types of things that you're going to need in your life. Right? Pray for wisdom. Pray for inspiration. Pray for the ability to change. Pray for my health. Pray for my sustenance. You know. Pray for justice. Pray that the bad guys don't get me. Pray for God to support the good guys. Pray, you know, these are all things that we pray for every single day. In the night, gratitude, peace, God, like these are things that we need. It's actually a good idea. It's almost like a checklist. That's how I, I literally view it as a checklist for myself. I go through it every single day. If you're having a hard time davening, I will add the following little um, unsolicited advice or gimmick. Sometimes the we re- it's hard to daven. Counterintuitively, I would say pray faster. We usually, very often, associate inspired prayer with slow. Daven with kavana, with real focus and intent, we oftentimes, that's associated with davening slow. And oftentimes that's true. But a lot of times on a Monday morning, and I'm busy, and i I got a lot of things, my mind to to actually stay focused for 10 minutes might be really hard. But to say the Shemona Esri in, I don't know, you could do it easily, very well in under three minutes. To just pray for three minutes, follow the checklist. It's actually like the richest thing in the world, and the same three, the, the same nineteen things every single day. Yeah, those are critical basic human needs. Um, so I, I say slow down. Like it's, it's it's actually a very good system. It's again, it's written by prophets. It actually, if you read the language, it's actually very very rich. And Number three, use it as a checklist. To go through these are nineteen things that everyone needs. Everyone needs go through it and just to have three times a day, three minutes a day to actually focus on. Here are my needs. I think is an easy thing to 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 do. And then, but but that's that's that. But I would add one last thing. So that's what I, sort of what I tell people. They say, I have a hard time dominating the same thing every day. I say, slow down. Give it a little bit of a shot. Try it. It's actually I find it meditative. I. I definitely would use that word. It's very meditative and therapeutic to be able to actually stop and think, here are 19 things that I need in my life. And to ask God to help me out with these 19 things, you know, if we can't do that three times a day, it's probably not a problem with the language. It's probably a problem in our ability to focus. And let's exercise our ability to focus. But I would add one last thing, and we'll end with this. As Rabbi Feinstein is teaching us, it's one thing to pray daily, shachras, mincha, mariv, three times a day. And that's on a regular day. When you're in crisis, when I'm in a difficult spot, you can pray, you know, and you want to pray to God, Shimon Astra is often very helpful. But I would add, and something I do encourage, it's not either or. You are also allowed to pray in your own voice, in your own words. Don't, well, leave it out of the formulized davening. I'll give you an example. Have you ever had like a really bad day at work and your coworker had terrible body odor? your boss, you know, didn't like your report, your computer kept on crashing and you forgot to bring your lunch and you got a paper cut and the copy machine jammed, right? You ever have it to, And then you're driving home and you're stuck in traffic. And like, and by the way, you hate your job to begin with. Right? And it, that ever happened to anyone? Raise your hand, right? Aye, right? So sometimes I remember this happening to me a couple times, like, not here at the call, everything's wonderful, but like that type of of, uh, like scenario, oftentimes like the best prayer you can have, roll up the windows of your car and just pray to God while you're stuck in traffic. That's also a good time, like, let's follow what Rabbi Feinstein says. It's one thing to pray three times a day. You're allowed to also pray when you're in crisis. If you've had a really tough day, if you've got something really on your mind or on your heart, so pray, you could do that too. Again, you still need a daven chakras mincha that's, that's fine. But if your person says, ah, oh, I've got such a, I'm in crisis. I've got a real difficult thing. Pray in your own words. There's nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, Rabbi Feinstein will tell you, you probably have an obligation to do that. If you're really in a tough spot, again, you can rely, you want to wait till mincha time, the next, you know, and, and, and pray. That's also okay. But a, certainly if a person on your own, just randomly, you call out to God and say, God, I need some help here. I am really, really, you know, trapped or stuck. That, according to according to Rabbi Feinstein, will be actually an obli- obligation, actually will be a fulfillment, according to all opinions of the requirements of davening. I'm going to hold it here for tonight. Moving forward, I want to do next week. So if we did today is the why do we daven? So, and again, we daven why. Shachos minchomarev is rabbinic. Praying every day is a holocaust, rambam, and ramban. Praying when you're in crisis, Rabbi Feinstein tells us under all opinions, is definitely a Torah obligation. Next week, I think, I want to cover the who. Who has to daven? Specifically, I think I'm going to do that. I might hunt for a week or two. But my goal for next week, I think, is who are the laws of prayer specifically for women? We'll see. It's a little different between men and women. But next week, the who, today is the why, next week is the who. I want to deal with the laws of prayer for women. Let's hold it here for tonight. Thoughts, questions, reactions. What does everyone say? Terrific. Good. Great topic. Great topic. What's that? Great topic. Oh, thank you, Joel. I appreciate that. Okay, everyone, please, God, we'll see you next week. A couple commercial announcements for everyone before we dismiss class. Um, this Shabbos, we have a scholar in residence here at the Kolel. Rabbi Becher will be coming. That'll be fantastic. So on, so he'll be around throughout all the Shabbos. Sunday morning, we've got a special brunch and learn. Um, Rabbi Becher will be talking about, I believe the topic was the religious origins. He's been talking the whole shop has been talking about the Israel Arab conflict, what's going on in the Middle East in Israel. So I think on Sunday he's gonna talk about the religious origins of the conflict. Uh, but he's amazing, he's a scholar, he's brilliant. Everyone's certainly invited and encouraged to participate. Will there be a dial-in number for that? I have no idea. There'll probably be a recording, Joel. I don't know if there'll be a dial-in. Okay, thank you. Okay. Question if you pray very quickly. To, don't you have to have some feeling with the prayer because if you go so fast that that you're missing the emotional concept. yeah so notice i said three minutes not 32 seconds so i think three minute i found like sometimes just even just a certain the more emotion that we have the more kavana and focus we have the better but sometimes especially if you're doubting, really dominating three times a day sometimes it could be a little bit hard to focus especially if you have a lot on our mind so then i suggest again if i my real suggestion do whatever will work for you i'm just sort of highlighting i know for me sometimes sometimes when i find my mind just going in a lot of places and distracted i find it almost like a yoga type of ther- like a meditative therapy that i'm going to focus for 120, 180 seconds on the following 19 things. And just to think, I need wisdom. I need the ability to change. I need inspiration. I need redemption. I need health. I need sustenance. And like, just do that. Just read the words and just to be cognizant, even if my emotion isn't totally there. But if I've got awareness, I think that's great. But you're 100% right. Ideally, the more emotion, the better. I don't know if that answers your question. point because I go back and forth with that same question, and at a certain point, it helped take pressure off me to it's give myself permission. It's okay to dive and think of it more as a service, and I'll definitely be building a service to God and fulfilling you know God's greater scheme. You know I'm plugging into God's great scheme. And it's okay if I don't feel particularly inspired this moment because otherwise it, it was just too much pressure. Yeah, totally. I, I actually really I, I appreciate that a lot. Sometimes it feels very pressured, and I feel bad about myself that I wasn't. It. so, so, so it's it's a different exercise when it's like okay, I might not be super emotional and and inspired, but I'm going to be cognizant. Like that. That I think it's like a very helpful thing to be able to be mindful and to focus. And no matter what's going on, take 90 seconds, 120, whatever. I think 90, yeah, whatever. Probably probably 120 seconds. A little bit more, probably 180, whatever. Three minutes, even it probably do it in two and a half minutes. Just to go through 19 things. Here are 19 things that I need from you, God. I'm just going to be aware. And I'm going to ask, please give me wisdom. Please give me, you know, all those things. That's just, so, but definitely you're right. The more emotion and the more, Focus on the more Kavana that we have, the better. Obviously, you know, naturally, that is, it's an Avoda Shabale. That's where we started. It's an Avoda Shabale. It's a service of the heart. It's all about putting heart into it. But even if we just have our minds in it, I think that's also a very big win. Any other thoughts, questions? Three prayers, uh, times, uh, prayers the same. Saying- so we're going to see. So we're going to talk about the, today we talked about the why. We'll talk about the who. And then when we eventually, probably going to, I don't know what order we do, we're going to get to the what. Now that's going to be the biggest part of the conversation, where the most halacha is going to come, the most law is what do we daven? What is the structure of the davening? The short answer is the Shmona Esrei, the Amidah is the same. And that really is, and we're going to talk about the structure of the sitter. It. We tend to look at the Siddur starting from page one or in the article scroll page two and go to page 150. It's actually not that, and, and that's obviously how we do it. We go chronological, start in the beginning, go to the end. In terms of understanding the organization of it, it's actually better to start in the middle and work outwards. You'll see counterintuitively, but to actually appreciate the structure, it's to start in the middle and move out. And in the middle is gonna be the Shmona Asrei And interesting, Shachras, Mincha and Mariv as prayers are totally different, but if you look at it from the middle out, the middle being from an S, right? They're exactly the same. Okay? It's when you start building it out and start moving outwards, that's where some of the differences come up. Why are those differences there? What are the reasons for those differences? And right, all that stuff, that'll be in the what section and that's going to be a lot of fun. Does that make sense? When it comes time to that discussion, it will be interesting to hear how you're organizing the explanatory service in ah. comparison- in comparison to what's, what's being done next door. Okay, so some, I was waiting for that question to come up. At some point, how does the explanatory service work that we do on Shabbos morning in relation to the what? I'm gonna, I don't wanna hold everyone, but the half answer to that, Joel, is that's why I use the word explanatory. It's very much an educational, our explanatory service is not, I. I, I and it's important to note, it's not, at least for a man, for a woman, maybe, but for men, it is not a halachic davening because it doesn't follow the whole structure it's helpful and educational but if you want to really dive in a full proper davening it's a good it's a good educational gateway to get to a a full proper davening because you'll see when we get there Joel the what actually is not in the explanatory service the prayers that we we recite in the explanatory service are not so much structured on a halachic framework it's structured on an educational framework. These are prayers that we think are very helpful for people to learn and get used to. And eventually at the right time, you know, moving on to being able to get the whole halakhic framework is certainly absolutely a goal. I don't know if that makes sense. A short... It does. How, how about you as a rabbi? Do, where do you get your full Shabbat experience since you're with us for the, for the explanatory portion? Great question, asks Shoal. Where does meth do the full halakha? <laughs> the answer is, we started a hashkama minion a couple of years, actually during COVID. There is a proper halakha minion that begins at 7.30. So I usually in there. Sometimes I actually do a little bit of there. I then daven some on my own, but the answer is before the explanatory service. That's okay. the answer. And that's what I've done my whole life. Well, not my whole life. Since we started the explanatory service eight years ago, the answer is before the explanatory service, I actually fit in parts. But actually, whatever. When we get there, Joel, you'll see there are parts in the explanatory service that I actually do dive in to actually fulfill some of the obligations. So Shmone, most there, there There are things you'll see. But I ha- I do dive in a good, a good part of it beforehand. That OK. Makes sense. Yeah. And for the next four classes, I'll be doing it by recording, by the way. So Joel? give you permission because you'll be in israel yeah debbie had a question Yeah. ah terrific so so let's wait till we get to the what because when we get to the what we're going to also talk about we're going to talk about the weekday davening but then there's of course naturally there's going to be special occasions shabbos holidays Hashanah, yom kippur which we really should have a whole class on the davening Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, right? It's one thing people figure out. Finally, after a couple of years, you figure out, you get used to a Shabbos davening or a weekly davening. It could be decades before a person actually understands what's going on. Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, even the most, you know, you were orthodox from the day you were born. People walk in on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. They're like, what? They're like, stand up, I sit down. I open the ark, we close the ark. Three steps back. Like, it's like, it's all Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, high holidays. Yom Kippur more than Rosh Hashanah, but I'll grant you that it's a whole other thing. We're gonna to have to have a special conversation about special situations, if that makes sense. The short answer to the Shmona Esrei is the is the Anshak Nasis the men of the Great Assembly. All right. So you'll see it follows a certain halachic, there, there are rules, but the, the short answer who composed those prayers, it's the same thing. It's Barakat Hashem, which means it's gonna be the Anshak Gedola, the men of the Great Assembly, pre or right around the beginning of the second temple era. That's gonna be the answer. Now, why are those differences and how are those differences? They're they're very cool. But by the way, even on the Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, I would just like to highlight the structure of the Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur davening, as you get more used to, to and comfortable with the law, like this unit, you will see that it makes a ton of sense. There is actually a beauty in the halachic organization of the Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur davening. Can I share an anecdote? Uh, Have I gone too far over time? My son Akiva, if you've met met my son Akiva, who's now away in in, uh, studying in Yeshiva in Cleveland. My son Akiva is the kind of kid from the youngest of ages. I'll give you this as an example, right? When you're five years old and it's Purim and you dress up, what do you dress up as? Patrick Mahomes, right? The football player. Akiva was the kid who dressed up, up, you know what he dressed up as? In the referee. (laughs) He loves, he loved and loves organization and structure from the youngest of ages. So even as a young child, one of the things you'll note with davening, there is a beauty to its structure. If you're the type of person who likes systems, you should like davening, because you'll see there's a real system to it. And even when you get to Hashanah and Yom Kippur, that's where it's a very rich, detailed, and nuanced system. So at the youngest of ages, he was literally, dec- when he was 12 years old, he was always, like the highlight of his year was Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur to get to the system of davening. And like, when you get more and more, you start appreciating the, tune, the tunes. There's a system to the tunes. Like how, like, why do you use this tune over here and that tune over there? I always tell poor Rabbi Davidowitz, I say, Rabbi David, he's the one, he, he davens for the Yom. He's the, he, he's the Chazin on Rosh Hashem Yom Kippur. I said, you think like you just daven and you, a lot of times you, you you didn't get the right tune at the right spot. No one notices. I said, you don't understand, Rabbi D. At my at my table on Rosh Hashanah, at the meals, and on Yom Kippur, as we're sitting down, breaking our fast after starving, me and Akiva do a play-by-play breakdown, like it was the Super Bowl. We go through every step of like what happened. He's like fascinated by the davening and why did he use this tune and he did that because there's a richness and a beauty to, and a symmetry to the system and organization. So if you appreciate this stuff, it's like it's gold. It's it's very cool and it just it might take a little bit of time. You have to like really like pick it up, but but it there is a pattern to it. Anyway. So this year Akiva wasn't there for the first year. So Rabbi D knew he was off the hook. He said he felt, he knew that davening this year, he didn't have the pressure of having to answer all of Akiva's questions. Like, hey Rabbi. By the way, right after Rosh Hashanah, first thing I call Akiva, I'm like, you're not like, Akiva's like like big skin, Rabbi, Rabbi Davidowitz changed a couple of tunes. Nobody in the shul noticed, nobody. I, most people did it, but I'm like, for me, I noticed just like psychatella so Kiva, like, you're not gonna believe what he did for Nasana Tsokev. He changed the tune and Akiva called Rabbi Diva. But anyway, there's um there is a system and a beauty even to that part of the dominant as well. You've been listening to the Jewish Living Podcast with Rabbi Nahol Math. Please do us a favor and like and share this podcast, ask a question or leave a comment.